Hi, this is John Ankerberg, and today I want to present to you my very, very good friend, Dr. Wayne Barber. For 18 years, he was pastor of the huge Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He was co-teacher with Kay Arthur for 14 years at Precept Ministries. He studied with Dr. Spiro Zodiades and co-hosted with him the national radio and TV program, New Testament Light, for 10 years. Wayne has taught the message of living grace which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, all around the world. He is president, founder, and principal speaker of Living Grace Ministries. And in February of 2011, he returned to Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, as senior pastor. Wayne's authored several books. The most recent one is entitled, Living Grace, Letting Jesus Be Jesus in You. And he has also co-authored, The Following God, series of studies published by AMG. I hope that you'll enjoy listening to Dr. Wayne Barber. We're back in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm like a broken record. Would you turn there with me tonight? 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we're going to talk about the pain in the midst of persecution. Pain in the midst of persecution. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 16, and we'll actually go through about verse 29. I was going to try to get to verse 30, but we probably at least get to verse 29 tonight. A lot of verses, but if you'll see in a moment, it just travels. It's like a current that runs through it, and it, it carries us right along. Pain in the midst of persecution. You know, it's quite a wake-up call when we suddenly realize that everyone's not going to be in favor of our living a yielded life to Christ. Anybody been surprised by the fact that people haven't just been overjoyed with that fact besides me? There's a lot of pain when it comes to living grace, what we talk about around here, Jesus being Jesus and us working in one's life. A lot of pain. But when you consider the life of the Apostle Paul as we're going to look at tonight and the pain that he had to endure because of his message of grace, and because of Christ being who he is in his life, I promise you, we don't have any problems. Our problems pale to non-existence when we think of the Apostle Paul. Like the old boy that went to heaven, he had survived the Johnstown flood, and, and he, he, he wanted to tell somebody. He said, Simon Peter, can I, can I share my testimony? And Simon Peter just kept putting him off, and finally he just pestered him long enough. He said, all right, all right. Saturday night, 6 o'clock, you can share your testimonies. Surviving the Johnstown flood. Well, they, they went that night. 100,000 people were gathered, and this old boy was pumped. And right before he got up, Simon Peter looked over and said, By the way, now, you remember that Noah sitting on the second row. <laughs> A lot of pain, but yet it pales to non-existence when it comes to understanding what others have gone through. Paul, in verse 16 of our text in chapter 11, once again resorts to what makes him very uncomfortable. He's going to sound like he is commending himself once again. Uh, he hates doing this. You know, he's already said in chapter 10 that the only person that's approved is the person that God commends. He knows that, but he hates doing it. But after identifying the fact that the false teachers have one motive, which is to deceive, and, and their method of all things, is, it, it's a disguise, but, but of all things, it's the disguise of a servant of righteousness. Can you believe this? And he understood that and told the Corinthians that. And their master, their example, is the devil himself. Paul then says in verse 16, Again I say, let no one think me foolish. But if you do, receive me even as foolish, so that I also may boast a little. 
The word for foolish is the word afron. It identifies a person who's kind of lost touch with reality. He's lost the, the correct measure of himself. He's lost the correct measure of the world in which he lives in. It's not the word for somebody who chooses to be that way, but it necessarily. But it comes from the word, uh, uh, Afron comes from two words, ah, which means without, and friend, which means understanding. Paul is saying it is possible that someone might think, because of what I'm about to do, that I've lost touch with reality and I'm going to boast about myself. I'm going to talk about myself. I don't like to do that. So he says, he warns them, now don't you think I've lost my mind in what I'm about to do? He says in verse 17, what I'm saying, I'm not saying as the Lord would. I know that that's not the way he handled most folks, but, but as in foolishness, in this confidence of boasting, since many boast according to the flesh, I will boast also. You see, the problem is that the Corinthians are putting up with and tolerating the false teachers that have come in their midst, and they were doing it gladly. And this is, this is really striking Paul at his very heart. He says in verse 19, for you being so wise, <laughs> that's sort of a slam in, in, in a spiritual way, tolerate the foolish gladly. The word tolerate is the word aneko, which is the word used back in verse 4 when he says, hey, you put up with them, you bear them well. In other words, you're listening to these false teachers, you're paying for them, you're, you're, you're tolerating them, you bear with them with what they say, you, you put up with their behavior. The irony here is this, and you're going to see it in a minute really clearly, is that the Corinthians thought of themselves to be wise. They talked about it all the time. If you've ever studied 1 Corinthians, especially the first four chapters, they really thought they were wise. Well, you <laughs> For these wise people, they were unusually foolish by not only humoring these fools that called themselves apostles, but they were doing it gladly. You know, it's almost a, 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 a picture of the 21st century Christianity. Incredible what people listen to and what they pay for and don't even think about it. They tolerate the character of these types of people. First of all, he tells you what they're tolerating. The Corinthians submitted to their false teaching. You know what that did? Put them right back under bondage. Grace had set them free. They'd rather go back up under bondage. He says, for you tolerate it if anyone enslaves you. Secondly, the false teachers had evidently devoured their finances. I mean, had just had taken them. Anyone, he says in verse 20, anyone who devours you. Thirdly, the false teachers had taken advantage of them. He says, Paul says, anyone takes advantage of you, which, which means you've just been taken. That's the lower lumbano. They just took you, and you tolerate it. And verse, fourthly, the false teachers had exalted themselves at the Corinthians' expense. He said, anyone exalts himself. They think they march right into you, and they say that they're this and that, and they exalt themselves, and you tolerate it. Excuse me, you put up with it. And finally, they insulted them. They tolerated the fact that these people had insulted them by harming them physically. Paul says, anyone who hits you in the face. That word could be translated slapped. I mean, this is abusive, this is insulting behavior, and yet the Corinthian believers had bought right into it. And Paul says, wow, wow. We should have been a lot tougher on you people. We, we should have been a whole lot tougher. If you're going to tolerate those kinds of people, he says in verse 21, to my shame, I must say that we have been weak by comparison. And it's right here that Paul sets his whole tone in a different manner 
and you can see the righteous indignation build up inside of him. This is not fleshly anger. This is the righteous indignation of a teacher who truly wants them to understand the freeing message of Christ living his life in and through them. And, and he sees their foolish behavior. He, 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 the anger of God himself rises up inside of Paul. And he goes on to say, but in whatever respect anyone else is bold, now I'm speaking in foolishness to some. They're going to think I've lost my mind. I'm just as bold myself. And this leads us into the message we're going to look at today, the pain of his life that, that Paul had endured because of letting Jesus be Jesus in him. You see, Paul knew something that so many people can talk a great game, but he had suffered for Jesus' sake. And these people would rather listen to these false teachers than they would listen to the Apostle Paul. Now, he identifies who these false teachers are. And I'm not in any way slanting this towards anybody. I'm just telling you what he said. They are Jewish. And he says in verse 22, are they Hebrews? He uses three titles here. So am I. He says, are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Now, what these three titles, you couldn't get any more pure of being a Jewish person than these three titles. The Hebrew person does not only speak Hebrew, he could speak Aramaic, not like the ones who had moved into the land and could only speak Greek. They were Israelites. I mean, they, 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 they came from within the land, and they're descendants of Abraham. Now, these are the people that had been deceiving those saints in Corinth by putting them back up under the law and had robbed them of their freedom, and yet the people were listening to them and the people were tolerating them. And Paul says, if that's what they are, buddy, so am I. And then he exposes their deceit when he says, are they servants of Christ? He says, I speak as if I'm insane. What do you mean a servant of Christ? That's their masquerade. He said, I'm more so, and that word more so is a great word. I just didn't have time to, to get into that because we've got so much to go in tonight, but it means I, I'm so far. They don't even show up on a scale when it comes to being a servant of Christ. And now he begins to unveil what he really feels uncomfortable in doing, but knows there's no other course. He needs to help them to see that the people who truly love Christ, the people who truly love his word, are going to suffer because of it. And he has, has suffered greatly the pain of persecution. Let's look at his pain tonight. That's why it's like a current of a river that just carries us right on down. It's a lot of verses, but it moves swiftly, and you'll see that. First of all, the scope of Paul's suffering. Now, he's real general when he starts off, basically showing you the different areas of how he suffered. Verse 23, in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger, of death. You can almost hear in his voice, and you're listening to them. You're listening to these false teachers. You're listening to the people who have taken you and devoured your money and everything else, and you won't even listen to me, and I'm trying to set you free with the message of Christ. The word labors is the word kopos, and it refers to hard work to the point of total exhaustion. It's not the actual exertion that it refers to, but the weariness that occurs because of that exertion. Wish y'all could have been with us in Israel. We went up on Masada, and uh, when we got up there, we were getting ready to come back down. It's a cable car that goes all the way to the top there, Law, a huge mountain there. It's where the Jews committed suicide after A.D. 70 when Titus destroyed Jerusalem, and it was the last stronghold. They even take the officers of the Jewish army now, and they commission them up there that this will never happen again. We, we were up there, and the cable car that was supposed to take us down broke. 
And in fact, they had the military there trying to get people off of the cable car. They had come up, but it wouldn't go into its position. So they were hanging there thousands of feet above the ground, and, and they were trying to get them off, and we got pictures of that. Well, they told us, we hate to tell you this, but the car, cable car is broken. You're going to have to walk down the other side. Now, this is in the middle of the desert. We had a little lady named Miss Pearl. I can't think of Miss Pearl's last name for the life of me. I tried to think of it. Somebody tell me after the service. Was it, was it? I can't hear. One of you tell me. Hillsdale. Gildale. Oh, whatever. If Miss Pearl. <laughs> Y'all get around me for a while, and you'll look at me smiling at you when you're talking. It means I ain't heard a word you said. I got hearing aids, and I can't hear. But Miss Pearl was there, and she's, she's a little bitty. One of my legs weighs more than she does, but she's, she's in front of me. And I want to tell you something, folks. You know, going up is one thing. That's bad enough. Going down to me is even harder. That's the muscles you don't use very often. And going down that thing, I was wearing out. And I'll only be 63. She's way up there. And they're 83. She's 83. And as long as she kept going, I just smiled and I kept going. Buddy, she, she, she was an example to me. But when we got to the bottom, <laughs> we was trying to get to the bus. It's a long ways to walk to the bus there. They'd pulled around to, to meet us. I felt exactly this weariness based on the exertion of going down that mountain. It's not talking about the exertion itself. It's talking about the weariness that comes afterwards. Every night we'd go into the room. One night I, I wanted to go to the restroom that night, and I couldn't get in there because Stephen stayed with me. And Stephen said I was snoring so loud he put his mattress in the bathroom. <laughs> he called his mother and said, Mama, how do you put up with it? She said, well, she said I'm just thankful he's still breathing. Well, anyway, but I felt that weariness. That's what he's talking about. Have you ever done that? Have you ever worked hard all day long and worked to the point of just sweating, and you don't even feel it till you get home, and all of a sudden it sets in on you? That's the word that's used here. Paul had labored to where he was worn out, but I want to promise you this, he was never burnt out. When you let the Holy Spirit live his life through you, you don't burn out. You can wear out, but you can't burn out because you're living in the energy of the Holy Spirit of God. <clears throat> he says in far more imprisonments. Clement of Rome says in his writings that Paul was in prison seven times. We, we only have record of five of them in the scriptures. We know from Acts that he was imprisoned in Philippi. We know of when he was put in jail in Jerusalem, next to this Roman soldiers uh, saved his life. We know when he was in prison in Caesarea. We know he was in prison in Rome twice. That's five times. We don't know the other two times. But Luke, you know, Luke nor Paul tells us about that. But they were all because of Jesus being Jesus in him. It was all because of he just wanted people to know the message of God's grace, that salvation's not a message of works. Salvation is, is by faith in Christ and Christ alone. That's all it was. He says, beaten times without number. That's a great translation of this particular word, hyperbalantos. It means to excel beyond. Kind of like a while ago, he says, I far more. It's kind of that, that idea. The word beaten is the word pligi, which refers to blows that strike the body, and it can be translated as wounds on the body. In Acts chapter 16, 33, it's translated that way. And he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds. That's the word right there. You know, as Paul said in Galatians 6, 17, if you've ever studied Galatians or if you were here to study it with us, from now on let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. Yeah, I've often wondered how much, how much the body of Paul was scarred with the wounds of the times he was beaten. He said, it's times without number. 
Often is the Greek word polakos, which is a numerical term meaning frequently, frequently. It was, it was a part of his life. The scope of Paul's suffering and pain involved being weary to the point of exhaustion, being thrown in jail many times, being beaten so many times he couldn't count them, and facing death was a constant companion to him. And you can hear the pain again in his voice as he realizes the Corinthians were tolerating these fakes, these false teachers that only put them in bondage, that only insulted them and abused them and took away all their finances to do with it what they wanted to do with it, and they wouldn't even listen to Paul who had suffered to the point of death so many times that he couldn't count them. It's interesting, isn't it? It's amazing to me. People would rather hear law than they would hear grace. I promise you this, folks. They'd rather hear a preacher tell them 17 things they can do to be spiritual because they can go home and make a checklist. But I want to tell you tonight, there's no formula with the message of grace. It's only Jesus and yielding to him. It's not having your quiet time at 4 o'clock in the morning. It's not all the things that you have to have that you think have made yourself spiritual. Legalism is a, is a, it's not just Jewish. Legalism is everywhere. It's rampant. The flesh loves it. And as a result of that, persecutes anybody who preaches the message of grace. Well, the scope, pretty far-reaching. Secondly, the specifics. He gets real specific here of his suffering. He says in verse 24, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Now, neither the book of Acts nor any of his epistles record what Paul's really talking about here. We don't know it for a fact from anything he's written. But the seriousness of these beatings need to be understood. This was a beating that was described in the Jewish Mishnah, which formed the basic part of their Talmud, uh, uh, which was their book of instructions. The maximum stripes that a, a person could be beaten was 40 as Deuteronomy chapter 25, 2 and 3 defines. Let me read that for you. It says in verse 2 of Deuteronomy 25, Then it shall be, if the wicked man deserves to be beaten, the judge shall then make him lie down and be beaten in his presence with the number of stripes according to his guilt. He may beat him 40 times, but no more, so that he does not beat him with many more stripes than these, and your brother is not degraded in your eyes. The Jews, not wanting to exceed what the law had or miscount, would do 39. And normally, when they, when they beat Jesus this way, it was a cat of nine tails, which, which was 40 was death. So this was something very, very, very heavy, very hurtful. Again, we see the very people who were being tolerated by the Corinthians were the very ones who had beaten Paul so severely. Paul again is specific when he says in verse 25, three times I was beaten with rods. Being beaten with rods refers to a Roman punishment. And Paul says this happened three times. But Paul, you see, was a Roman citizen. If you know anything about being a Roman citizen in their day, they were exempt from this kind of punishment. It tells you a whole lot about the officials in government back then. <laughs> Sometimes not any much different than the officials of government today. They don't pay attention to what they've pledged to uphold. They were not careful to uphold the law. And Paul recounts in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 2 how he was treacherously treated, even though he was a Roman citizen in the Roman colony there at Philippi. But Paul goes on to say, once I was stoned. And we do have a record of this in connection with Paul's visit to Lystra. This is recorded in Acts 14. In fact, in Acts 14 and verse 5, they tried to stone him, but he got away. It says that when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat and to stone them, and then in verse 6 says they were able to escape. But in verse 19, they caught him. 
But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. And having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. We know that he wasn't, but they thought he was dead. They had actually stoned him to that point. Stoning was a Jewish procedure, which was usually a capital sentence, I mean to death, that was cast upon an apostate, a blasphemer, or an adulterer. And he had suffered that in his life. Paul nearly died, as we just read. And next, Paul says, three times I was shipwrecked. Again, we really don't know of these. We do know of the account in Acts 27, but this is really what he's writing here is before that time. But Paul recalls one instant of a night and a day I have spent in the deep. He was out there in the ocean by himself a night and a day, he says. So Paul's recall not only gives us the scope of his suffering, we begin to see the pain that came, but also the specifics, some of the definite specifics of that suffering. And yet he says, and you listen to them. Thirdly, the stress of Paul's suffering. And here's where it, it gets really tough. He says, he says in verse 26, I've been on frequent journeys. Now, Paul was a busy man. I mean, God would lead him. He wasn't busy to be busy. God was leading him here and there, and he was going into land and places where nobody else had been. He said, I don't build on anybody else's work. And so he was going in a lot of different directions. Frequent journeys, it said. But every one of these journeys held a particular danger for him. You can imagine the stress that was on top of him in dangers from rivers, he says. Now, the word dangers is the word kindunos, which refers not just to the danger, but to the peril, the fear of that danger. He had to face that every day of his life. The rivers of Asia Minor were known to swell and rise without any warning whatsoever. And, and suggest, it suggested that in, in Paul's journey, at, in particular times, to try to get into this place or that place, that he had to cross some of these rivers. And when they would swell like that, he had the fear overwhelming to him that he might lose his life. Dangers from robbers. The travels in Paul's day, especially through the mountains and the wilderness areas, was a very dangerous thing. Remember, he got to Troas looking for Titus, and Titus wasn't there, and it burdened him. And he went all the way to Macedonia to find him because you didn't travel in those days and think that it's going to be safe to do that. Dangers from robbers. Dangers from my countrymen. Paul's own people, the, the Jewish brothers, that the, he said in Romans 9 he loved so much that he would give his own salvation to see them saved. His own people were the biggest enemy because of the message that he preached. I mean, here's a man, you've got to feel for him because his very people that he loved turned their back on him when he went and received Jesus as his Lord and Savior, the Messiah that was promised in the Old Testament. And he began to talk about the message of God's grace and not, righteousness was not through the law. Righteousness was through faith in Christ. He suffered a great danger from his own people. He was like a man with no country because not only did the Jewish, Jewish people, his brothers and sisters in Christ, not, not only did they not trust him, but the Gentiles were also on his case. You see, what would happen so often, the Gentiles could care less, but they would see the, the tumult that was going on over here, and, and, and they would get involved. In Philippi in Acts 16, 20, and when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, these men are throwing our city into confusion. And then in Ephesus in Acts 19, 23, about that time there occurred no small disturbance concerning the way. And that passage leads to when they, a whole mob went after the Apostle Paul. Incredible dangers. Paul, paid, Paul faced peril everywhere he went. Can you imagine this? Can you imagine that nowhere could you go that you didn't face the danger of being beaten or stoned to death or, or put in prison or, or whatever? 
This is the way he lived his life. This was, this was not one or two times in his life. This was, this was normal for Paul. And Paul said, man, I, I treated you with kindness. I, I, I don't even take a dime from you. I, all I said was I wanted to take an offering for the poor saints over in Jerusalem, and you would listen to these kind of people who have taken you and taken you and taken you. Dangers in the city. These journeys caused him the peril of that danger. Dangers in the wilderness. Dangers on the sea. Didn't matter which way he went. And false teachers that constantly criticized and planned against him, as we've seen in chapter 10 and 11, that's what he's addressing. They were always around. Dangers from false brethren, he says. On these journeys facing these dangers, he says, I have been in labor and hardship. You know, that being in labor, not one man in the world could really fully grasp that. Every lady, my wife always says when I hurt myself, yeah, well, you hadn't had a baby. You know, I, I know that. But you can picture the pain in that. You know, the labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. I want to say something. I'd say it out of love of my heart. This is what God said to me. I ought to be ashamed. I ought to be ashamed in the 21st century, living in Albuquerque, New Mexico, one of the most beautiful places I've ever lived, in climate that's awesome, and people that are wonderful. And I ought to be ashamed, and every one of us ought to be ashamed. Every time we complain, just because somebody did this or did that to us, when we put ourselves up next to the Apostle Paul, we ought to absolutely be ashamed. And to live in America, to be in a free country like we are. Do you know there's been more Christians persecuted and put to death in the last 25 years than there has in the history of Christianity? And, you know, sometimes the biggest complaint we have is the air condition doesn't work right or the service went too long or, oh, boy. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. The scope of Paul's suffering, pretty broad. The specifics are there. Five times, three times, one time I was stoned. The stress of his suffering faced him every day. Every day he woke up in a hostile world, every day, every day of his life. Why? Why? Why would this be to this prominent Jewish Pharisee for years of his life who studied under Gamaliel, who knew the Old Testament law better than anybody that walked during his day, the, the second most intelligent person in scriptures, Jesus is the most, but he, he had such, he could stand on, on, on Mars Hill there in Athens, and he, I stood there on that big rock, and he could take on the philosophers of, 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 of Greece and hold his own by telling them, let me tell you the unknown God. What would cause him to have to go through this kind of thing? One thing, the message we preach and the message we'll continue to preach, the message of God's grace. The message of faith in Christ being the only way a person can be saved and that faith in Christ is the only way a person lives after he's saved. Colossians 2, 6, as you therefore have received him, what? So also walk in him. There's no difference. And that message and the Spirit of God living in his life caused the suffering that he went through. Well, the final thing I want you to see is the sensitivity of Paul's suffering. Paul's greatest suffering was the anguish he had for the spiritual condition of the churches. Now, isn't that interesting? The greatest anguish that he went through, the biggest pain that he had, was the spiritual condition of the church. Not the physical stuff that he had to face and the dangers. Yeah, he had a lot of pain from that, from mean people. But that really wasn't what his concern was. He says in verse 28, apart from such external things, there is a daily pressure on me of concern 
for all of the churches. Wow. I know the concern for one at a time, but he knew the concern for all of the churches. The word concern is the word merimna. It expresses a deep emotional it's somebody's really involved. It's somebody who feels the, the pain of Corinth when they turned to false doctrine, who feels the threat of Ephesus when he called the elders out and said, when I leave, wolves will, will come, up, uh, come in among you. The, the, the pain of Thessalonica when they don't understand that the day of the Lord hasn't come. We haven't, we haven't been taken out to see Christ yet. The, the pain of, of Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians when they didn't understand what happens to the body after death. They knew the spirit went to be with God, but what happened to the body? The pain that he went through. That was where his real anguish was. He was concerned as a pastor shepherd for the welfare and the spiritual health of the churches. He says in verse 29, and, I, and you just hear the humility come out of his voice. He says, who is weak without my being weak? Who could talk about weakness if they didn't first of all understand the weakness that I sense? This is Paul bearing his heart. You know, I love that about Paul. He just, he just lets he, let people in on where he is. Who is led into sin without my intense concern? Who? No one. I want you to understand that Paul in no way is griping about any difficulty he had. But he's sharing this because that's what he felt like they might think. He's lost his mind. He's griping. No, he's trying to say, this is who I am. This is who I am. They should have known that, but he said, this is who I am. Why would you not listen to what I'm trying to tell you? Paul says it may sound that, that he might have lost his mind, but he, he's sharing it in order to combat the foolish garbage that the false teachers who cared less about those people were telling them. Paul was a man who had suffered much pain and persecution for the sake of Christ. What are you going through tonight because of your love for Christ and your willingness to share with others? What are you going through? Now, I don't, I don't, I'm not looking for you to raise your hand. just want you to think. Think along with me. What are you going through? What's the... What's the insult that you've caused to a family member because you love Jesus with all your heart? You're beginning to get a taste just a little bit of what he's trying to say. Light and darkness don't get along very well. And Paul lived and existed in a hostile world. We're going to see in chapter 12, however, that no matter what it was he had to deal with, he found his answer in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. He found it there, whether it was physical that we'll see in chapter 12, whether it was emotional, whether it was whatever. He always found his answer in Christ. You know what? He was, a, he was a believer who had found his rest in Christ. Now, I want to I kind of turn it just a little bit, just for, just for the sake of application tonight. Maybe you're suffering in another way. Maybe it's not because of your faith in Christ. or what, It's on your journey, though, and it came along. And you're going through a difficult time, whatever it is. Maybe it's physical. Maybe it's something else. I'm going to ask you a question because all of us have to face this. Have you discovered your rest in the Lord Jesus in the midst of what you're going through tonight? You say, Wayne, I'm not sure what you're talking about. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 11. I want to show you something. Matthew chapter 11, and we're going to look at verses 28 through 30. I want you to see this now. This is, this is who Christ is in the midst of these perilous times that we have to face in life, and Paul's was persecution, but maybe we're going through some other kind of suffering. Matthew 12, verse 28, look what Jesus said. The great, you know, you see so 
so much, so much of the invitation of God all through scriptures, come, come, come. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. He could say that to the church of Corinth, couldn't he? Because that's what law does to a person. It weights them down. Maybe there's something else that's weighting you down. And I will give you rest. There's two kinds of rest in these three verses. The first rest is the rest he gives. That's the rest of salvation. The people that are burdened and wearied down with sin. Maybe they're religious and they can't escape the, the standard they've put over them that they can't measure up to and whatever it is. He says, you come to me, come to me, come to me, and I will give you rest. And then he says something here. There's a rest given, that's salvation, but there's a rest found. Look at verse 28, 29, rather 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle, humble, heart, and you will what? Find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Now, what is it we have to do? What is it he's asking us to do in order to find rest? Now, he's given us rest. We just come to him, and he gives us the rest as we bow before him. But he says here very clearly, take my yoke upon you. Now, this is a miniature yoke. I thought for years until a conference I spoke at it this past week that the yoke was equal on both sides. You had an equal size animal on one side and an equal size animal on the other side, even though this one was more learned and experienced, but the 100% my, you know, 100%, but it, I found out different. When they put a yoke on two oxen, the heaviest, the, the heaviest load, the, uh, the, 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 let's put it this way. The weaker one was on one side, and the one who could carry the heaviest load was on the other. The, 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 the yoke itself even was not the same. And so it was unequal. It was like one was the weak and one was the strong in this yoke. Now, what is a yoke when he talks about it in this passage? A yoke is my acceptance of whatever circumstance that God has allowed into my life. Take my yoke upon you. Whatever you're dealing with, take my yoke upon you. It's lordship. Lord, I surrender to you. Lord, I lay every agenda down. I lay every thought down. I just surrender to you. Lord, I'm weak in this sense, but Lord, I know you can carry that load. I just surrender myself to you. If I'm going through persecution, if I'm going through sickness, if I'm going through whatever, Lord, I lay it all down before you. I take your yoke upon me. I wonder how many of us in our suffering, like Paul will show us in chapter 12, have truly found our rest in the midst of the pain that we're going through. And maybe it's his pain. It's the pain of persecution, like I said. Maybe it's the pain of something else. But have we come to that place of saying, you know, Lord, I just want to be made strong in your grace. In my weakness, your strength is made perfect. I, I I want to find that rest. Lord, I know you gave it to me and I'm rested in Christ positionally forever, but Lord, I want to discover it in my life. Lord, I don't have answers to this and I don't have answers to that. And Lord, I don't know what to do here and I don't know what to do there, but Lord, I'm laying it down because Lord, I'm weak. And I thank you that you let me have that side of the yoke. And Lord, I, I, I just give it to you. I just give it to you. And walk in the rest that he's given to you. Paul's not griping. No way in the world he's griping. 
He's just simply trying to show them, listen, folks, I've got the marks of Jesus on my body. Why would you listen to these foolish people who take you for a ride? But he's found his rest. Don't you worry about Paul. He's found his rest. Boy, it's a beautiful chapter in chapter 12. So let me bring it down where you are. What's going on in your life tonight? What's going on in your life tonight? Jesus was your answer at salvation. I want to promise you he's your answer now. But are you willing to lay it down and take his yoke, his yoke upon you? The yoke of those others who had put themselves into religion or sin or whatever was made them weighty, heavy laden. But his yoke is not that way. A lot more we can say about those three verses. But that's the thought I had I wanted to leave you with tonight. Don't go home and feel sorry for Paul. He's fine. Maybe we need to feel sorry for ourselves and get in that yoke and find the rest that God gives to us, no matter what we're going through. That in our weakness, his strength is made perfect. For additional resources, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org.